This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. My name is Haley Elizabeth, and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. And so if you're interested in that, you could head over to the YouTube channel, Haley Elizabeth, every Wednesday for the visual version, or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. Now, I've done a lot of different true crime topics on this channel, but the one that's always interested me the most was cults. I feel like the idea of a person, same as me and you, making themselves a leader and preaching their own beliefs, which are usually spiritual, and then they go on to manipulate and brainwash usually already broken down people, and this leader will then mold these people into making them do and believe whatever they want them to. And with cults, it's not just a singular person that's being brainwashed or manipulated, it's a group of people. And so even if you are in a cult, you are surrounded by people who are experiencing the same thing and encourage this mind control and brainwashing because them themselves are also getting brainwashed and mind controlled. And so the other day I was scrolling through Reddit and I found this cult called Nexium, which started out as a typical MLM. And if you guys don't know what an MLM is, you get hired on and then you recruit a member. And if you do that, you get a commission and so on and so forth for the next member. And usually, in MLMs, you are going door-to-door selling a specific product, whether it be things like weight loss pills, beauty, or lifestyle. But this MLM would later turn into just a cover-up for a sex cult that included the branding of women with hot irons. Women in the cult were only allowed to have sex with their leader, being forced to provide blackmail so they know that you are loyal to them and you wouldn't leave or disobey them, which in return basically just traps you in there, as the leader even going as far as poisoning the older women in the cult, then giving them cancer just to kill them off and make room for the younger women to enter the group. Honestly, so much happening in this cult, and unfortunately, even to this day, there's so much they still got away with, and I can't be the only one that knows this. There is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it, the cult of Nexium. So Nexium was created in 1998 by a man named Keith Rainier and his co founder slash wife, Nancy Salzman. A little bit of backstory on Keith. Keith was born on August 16th, 1960 in Brooklyn, New York to his mom, Vera, and his dad, James. He was an only child and his dad was an advertising executive while his mom was a ballroom dancer. As far as his childhood, nothing too crazy happened. His mom and dad gave him lots of love and attention because Keith was an only child. Keith would go on to say that his mom drank a bit, but it wasn't excessive and he really experienced no wild trauma. As a child, Keith was described 
described as a natural born leader and had a way of talking to people. He could spark conversations and be friends with absolutely anyone he met. And at the age of eight, his parents unfortunately got a divorce and so Keith went to move in with his mom and he moved from Brooklyn, New York to Suffren. After this, Keith became very quiet and reserved, but although he was quiet, he actually wanted to make friends and so he started reading books on how to do that. But instead of him reading things like self-help or self-improvement, he began reading books like Isaac Osmov's Mind Control and another book called Second Foundation, which is another mind control book, and he started reading these books at just 12 years old. He also began learning three different languages with all of this alone time. And as a teenager, he worked for a company called Amway, and it was basically like a door-to-door MLM. And at this company is where he learned more about MLMs and kind of manipulating people into buying products they don't need. And this was perfect for Keith because he was great at talking to people. After high school, Keith went on to college at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. He graduated at 22 years old in 1982, but with a 2.2 GPA and barely passing. Keith was extremely intelligent, but he never applied himself. As I said, he was reading mind control books and learning three languages at 12 years old, but he never ever applied himself to school. He would often skip class, he was barely doing homework or tests, and most of the time in college, he was actually working on his MLM slash business called Consumer Bideline. And then after college, he got a job as a computer programmer for the New York State Division of Parole. Keith was also said to be a part of a society of what's called the Mega Society. And if you guys don't know what the Mega Society is, it's basically a society of high IQ people, but the society is only open to people who have scored one in a million level IQ on their mega test. And taking this mega test is required in order for you to be accepted into the mega society. And it was said that Keith actually took this test and was accepted in with the group. One of the members even said that Keith and two other people, a woman named Marilyn Vossavant and a man named Eric Hart, were the highest scoring members of the group. And then in 1990, at the age of 30, he started his business, Consumer Byline, which was the fastest growing MLM at the time. And basically what this was is that people bought a membership to Consumer Byline and had access to different items at a lower price. So he wasn't selling a specific product, just more of the deals that went with your everyday products. And hired into this MLM was a woman named Tony Natalie, who Keith would later meet and develop a crush on, and the two of them would later date. Tony was previously married with a kid, but had moved out and divorced, and married Keith only after a couple months of dating. In 1993, three years after Consumer Byline had opened, they started to reach a bit of a decline following a lawsuit filed by the state of New York, who stated that Keith's company was a pyramid scheme. The lawsuit went no further, Keith just got rid of his business, but he decided to start a new one in the following year of 1994 called National Health Network. National Health Network, or NHN, was another MLM, but for vitamins and supplements. And in 1996, he would get caught once again and had to pay the state $40,000, but only paid them $9,000 after saying he didn't have the money. Now, this was kind of odd because Keith was always claiming to have a multi-million dollar net worth and his business branched out so far that he had people going door to door all across the country. Keith was even being investigated in 
25 different states specifically for ripping people off. So Keith decided to pay the 9,000 and signed a form saying that he wasn't allowed to quote, promote, offer, or grant participation in a chain distribution scheme. And so now that he wasn't able to make another MLM, he was left with no direction, no money, and his wife, Tony, kind of felt the effects of all of this. So one day, Tony was ranting to her friend, Nancy Salzman, who was a nurse and told her everything that was going on between her and Keith. So Tony asks Nancy, you know, you're a nurse, so why don't you just sit in a room with Keith, get to know him, and and see if he's the one that's crazy or if I'm the one that's crazy. And so Nancy was more than happy to do that for Tony. Tony and her were best friends and so Nancy meant so Nancy decided to meet up with Keith and four days later when she came back to Tony, Tony said that Nancy had a glazed look in her eye and Nancy said to her, quote, you don't know him. He's gonna change the world. He's light years ahead of us. After this, Nancy and Keith decided to go into business together with Keith's knowledge in starting a business, and Nancy was not just a nurse, but she was also a practitioner of hypnotism and neurolinguistic programming. And more specifically, she was the second best in all of the state of New York. And unfortunately, after this meeting with Nancy and Keith, shortly after this, Nancy and Keith started dating and Keith and Tony got a divorce. And so Nancy and Keith decided to start their very first company called Vernery Management Systems, a program for people who wanted to take self-improvement to the next level. They helped and guided people to choose better. And with Keith's good way of talking to people and Nancy being a hypnosis expert, it was a scary duo. They tried to get people to invest, but Keith's past was a huge red flag because he was kind of known for ripping people People off and producing scams. And so after a lot of backlash on their company, they decided to rename the company to Nexium, spelt N-X-I-V-M, which Keith actually got the name from a video game where there's a specific power called Nexium. And the description of the power is, quote, destruction of one's enemies increases one's own power. This is when the Nexium cult was born. So now we get into into the cult. How did this MLM even go sideways? How did a company run by a woman who is second best in her state for hypnotism and a man who's been educating himself on mind control since he was 12 turn into a cult? I just wonder how could how could possibly all this turn sideways? So Nancy and Keith had Nexium as one big company, but they also had a program within the company called Executive Success Programs, aka ESP. They hired some people on who then pitched this ESP program to people going door to door. And in this case, Keith really couldn't get arrested because he wasn't selling a product or he wasn't selling something that was fake. He was simply just selling advice. And you can't really get arrested for that because that's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. They go door to door and they offer religious guidance for anyone who's open to listening to it. And technically, that's kind of what Keith was doing as well. So he couldn't get in trouble for it. 
Their ESP programs were said to just be a program that enlightens you and it regains your purpose and gets you out of that slump so you can start living again. And these programs were not cheap. It was very expensive and it was split into three separate levels. The cheapest was the first level, which was five days for $2,700. The second level was an 11 day program for $5,100. And the third level that was highly recommended was a 16 day program for $7,600. And they mostly emphasized that level three were only for the people who were dedicated and really, really wanted to better themselves. Basically just kind of telling people that if you choose level one or two, you're not really dedicated, which would then in return manipulate people to spending more money. And these programs, you would think with the amount of money you're paying, nearly $10,000, it's going to be worth your while. But these programs were not worth the money. You literally sat down in a rented out hotel ballroom space and watched VHS tape presentations that Nancy would just pop in every now and then. You would watch these programs. They would also give you homework to do. And this homework was called integrate. So basically when you integrate, you are completing actions of personal growth. So for example, if there's a certain career that you want to chase, they will tell you do something that relates to that career at least once a day and work at it once a day. And that was their method of integrating. Integrating was a technique where you took your fears, phobias, limiting beliefs, and medical conditions and you could cure them completely and promised to never have it come back. They created this system called rational inquiry and basically it was said to fix you and they would basically fix you by their standard. So even if you were completely comfortable with the life that you were living, if they saw your life and they personally did not like it, they would tell you that your life needs fixing and they would try to fix you to their standard. And most of the people who entered wouldn't finish the program because it took really long and it was very expensive and it wasn't just for 16 days or 11 days. That was honestly just the rope in. Once they got you paying for the actual program, now they were having you pay for more fees and to stay longer and they were constantly keeping people at the edge of their seat and so they wanted to learn more and they would put out more and more money to know more. This program also gave out sashes that would determine your status in the group. People who had a silvery blue sash were the highest in the group and the people who wore orange sashes were of lower status and all the colors in between silver blue and orange were basically people that were on their way up to silver blue. Keith would even name himself quote Vanguard, leader of the philosophical movement, and Nancy named herself, quote, head of the school. And so people through these VHS tapes basically looked up to Keith and Nancy as their leaders, as if they knew all of the answers and they were not going to get better unless they went to Keith and Nancy to do so. Now when people joined, they really felt they were seeing results. They felt better about themselves. They felt more motivated. And of course they do. They have someone holding them accountable to become a better person. And when that happens, you will become in return that better person, especially if they're giving them integrate or homework every single night to go out there and achieve their goals and there's someone kind of holding them accountable for that, it's inevitable. You are going to get to where you want to be, but these people didn't blame it on themselves, that they were actually helping themselves. They were looking it as, oh wow, I wouldn't have done this.
business if Keith and Nancy weren't here. They are the reason why I am so successful now. Which honestly, I am all for. Self-improvement is important and there's many online classes like Skillshare, Masterclass, YouTube, where you have people teaching you on ways to better yourself. And so that is the part that, you know, I, I don't have a problem with. But when there are things like social ranks, like what they're doing with the sashes or there's extra payments or there's certain quotas that you have to meet unless you drop a rank and then you feel bad about yourself for basically going backwards, even though you weren't really going backwards to begin with, you were just trying your best and had a minor setback. But these people wouldn't see it as that. They would see as them not making Keith and Nancy proud. And at that point, it's not healthy. And especially when there's a leader such as Keith and Nancy that everyone looks up to for approval, that's when it gets extremely unhealthy. And I assume that these people were trying day in and day out to recruit more members just for that validation from Keith and Nancy. I, I mean, personally, I remember this one time this girl DM'd me on Instagram and we went on to have like an entire three month friendship until one day she asked me to join her MLM where she was like selling supplements and she was telling me all of the benefits and that I could be my own boss and I could start my life today. But when I said no, she ironically never talked to me again. So do with that what you will. But just know that people will go great lengths to recruit members for their MLM or whatever they're promoting. And if you are in a cult like Nexium, where you are so brainwashed and you need the approval of your leaders, who knows the great lengths that they'll go through? Who knows how long they'll be fake friends with someone and even maybe slowly brainwashing them in the process and trying to mind control them and so they feel more at ease about entering into the group. Keith was not seen as an inspiration to others. He was more seen as a leader and a know-all god. He was also in the mega society club, so he was extremely smart, but unfortunately, he used his intelligence for evil. Keith didn't really care about his people. He only cared about the money and attention that he could get out of it. And so he tried to recruit people like celebrities, entrepreneurs, and billionaires. And a big name that was high up in Nexium was a man named Mark Vincent, who was the director of a documentary series called The Vow on HBO Max, and another documentary series called, quote, What the Bleep Do We Know? And when Mark Vincent entered into Nexium, he also invited his friend, who was a Canadian actress named Sarah Edmonton, who some of you may or may not know, but Sarah actually played a role as Callie in the movie Bratz Kids Sleepover at adventure, as well as the role of Lena in Bratz Fashion Pixies. She was also in another girly kid show, such as Courtney in The Barbie Diaries. But Sarah, although she was, you know, in the children's network, she was a children's voice actor, she kind of wanted something a little bit more mature for herself. So Sarah was kind of in a transitional period, and she decided to go on a cruise where she then met Mark Vincent. Sarah and Mark started to get to talking, and that 
is when Mark brought up Nexium. Mark was honestly someone that Sarah looked up to because she was an aspiring actress and Mark was a successful director. So Mark starts telling Sarah about the ESP program and Sarah at the time had a medical condition that caused her to cough a lot and Mark asked her, quote, what do you have to lose if you lose the cough? And Sarah said that she then realized that she didn't actually have a cough, but she was just associating being sick with getting attention because everyone pays attention to you and takes care of you when you're sick. And at the time, Sarah was also going through a rough patch in her relationship, which would also further explain her need for attention. Now, if this is actually true or not, I have no clue. This is just what Sarah told herself. And when she realized this, she said that her cough slowly started to go away and it amazed her and so she decided to go back to Mark and learn more about Nexium. Mark then educated her about Nexium, the ESP programs, and the levels and Sarah said that she didn't have enough money for it but she decided to spend the 2700 on the five-day program and once she was in the program that is when she was hooked. Her and Mark grew very quickly in their ranks and they became so successful that they opened up a Nexium location in Vancouver in order to recruit more members. Over time, as this cult expanded, more celebrities got involved. Celebrities like Kristen Kruick from Smallville and Snow White, Allison Mack, who was Kristen Kruick's co-star in the show Smallville, also became involved. And ironically, Allison actually found out about Nexium through Kristen. Katherine Oxenberg from Dynasty, who then roped in her daughter India as well. Now, the one thing about Nexium is that there was no monthly payments. It was just one large payment, but then when people saw the results that they wanted, it would influence them to feel more accomplished and like they were moving up quickly and that the only way to continue this high was to put in more money and invest more money into Nexium. One of the requirements into being into Nexium was that you had to recruit at least one person a month in order to remain in there. But a lot of people in Nexium were in intense debt due to these programs and most of them just cut their losses and left. But the people with the more money, like celebrities, were more likely to be manipulated into staying. And Allison Mack was one of those higher up people and saw Keith like a god. Allison Mack would go on to say that Keith absolutely controlled her life. He even counted her calories to make sure that she stayed a specific weight and made her take a vow of devotion to him. Allison said that she barely slept because she was expected to be on call and be at Keith's side whenever he needed her. Mark Vincent not only roped in Sarah, but he also roped in his wife, Bonnie, into the program, and Bonnie was the only one who saw right through the scam. Bonnie barely ate, she barely slept, and if she wasn't putting in her 100%, 100% of the time, she would get punished for it. She was old, she was weak, but Mark basically just said that she wasn't getting sick because she was not eating or not sleeping, she was getting sick because she was letting her limiting beliefs get to her and she wasn't trying hard enough because she didn't want it enough. And for a while, Bonnie actually believed this, but after a while, she really started to see all of these odd things within Nexium that was just supposed to be quote-unquote self-care. She realized Keith was extremely creepy and got a really weird feeling every time she was around him. She noted that Keith actually kissed everyone on the lips and he would kick people out if they disagreed or stood up to him. He only saw people as numbers and not actual people. 
people. And by giving people hope and putting them in debt, he made them believe that he was the only answer to all of their problems. So Bonnie, when she realized all of the horror that was going on, she decided to leave. But when she left, it was a disaster. Bonnie's marriage with Mark went absolutely downhill because she tried to tell him that, you know, this is a cult. What are you doing here? But Mark said that she was just being overdramatic and cults are things like Heaven's Gate and the Manson. This is nothing like that. This is enlightenment. This is bettering yourself. But over time, more and more people started to open their eyes and later left as well. The people who left started talking and realized that everyone that left basically just had their life ruined. And so when they were going in for self-improvement and bettering themselves, they ended up leaving a lot worse of a person than when they entered. Not only did they have to deal with all of the mental and financial effects, when they left, they had their phones blowing up in the middle of the night to keep them awake, phone calls from people inside of Nexium. They also had fraudulent charges, large fraudulent charges on all of their cards. There were some people who had their medical insurance randomly canceled, and there were even some that were stalked by current members of the group. It seemed like no one left on good terms, and even though they left, they still hadn't technically left because people were still talking to them and stalking them. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Church of Scientology, but this really reminds me a lot of that. So with all of these members kind of opening up their eyes and everyone slowly leaving, that's when Keith and Nancy kind of freaked out and they needed a different path and they needed another program. They couldn't just run off of the ESP program. They needed something that would really grab people's attention. So that's when Keith and Nancy decided to create another program called DOS. So D-O-S, aka DOS, aka Dominius Ubquidius Sororium is what it stood for. And in translation, that literally means, quote, master over slave women. And this sub program was a program specifically for the women and it was a program where Keith preached his belief about women because no one knows women better than a man, right? <laughs> Keith believed that men and women were not equal because both have things about themselves that they cannot do without each other. He viewed women as lost puppies and without a man, that's all they'll ever be. The program included Keith, of course, and selected few women. And even if you simply just wanted to learn more info about the group, you were forced to provide a fee to show that you were serious about it. But this fee wasn't money. This fee was actually providing a secret, some sort of blackmail, something that if it were to get out, your life would then be over. Now, Allison Mack was the leader of this DOS group. And when word gets out about this group and word gets around to Mark about this group, but even though Mark is the head director, he had no clue about this group, and that is when he started to get kind of a weird feeling about it. Mark then calls Keith to ask Keith about the group, and Keith just says, oh yeah, we green-lighted a group that Allison wanted to put together, but it's a girls-only group. I don't know anything about it. They're just doing their own girly thing. But Mark obviously doesn't believe this because he says that Keith wouldn't say yes to something if he vaguely knew about it. Keith was way smarter than that. And there's no way that Keith would allow just a group of women to start their own group together and be in control of that group because Keith oversaw and controlled everything. So that's when 
Mark really started to get a weird feeling about specifically this group. And it was actually this DOS group where he started to really start to see everything that was wrong with this cult. He started to realize that for years they had just been taking his livelihood, his freedom, his money, his mind, his thoughts. And after coming to this revelation, he made the hard decision to leave the group and warn Sarah before leaving. He tells Sarah before leaving the group that, quote, there's this girls only group. I don't know what's going on. You need to provide blackmail in order to be entered. Do not do it. And Sarah replies to this, but you can tell that she's being very cautious about it. And she's kind of putting it in a way of like, oh, really? I had no clue that group exists. Like, wow, that's crazy. But if I see it, I'll definitely take note of it. So it was very obvious to Mark that Sarah knew about the group and possibly she was already in the group. So Mark just asked Sarah straight up, are you in this group? And Sarah immediately broke down. And thank God Sarah trusted Mark enough and told him, yes, I'm in this group. It's me and a couple other girls and Keith and she even confides in Mark and says that she was even branded with Keith's initials with a hot iron and was forced to give blackmail. Sarah said that when she was supposed to provide blackmail she couldn't do it because she said that she was an open book, she lived a drama-free life and had nothing life-ruining to provide. But Sarah's best friend in the group was Nancy's daughter named Lauren and Lauren was the one that actually approached Sarah about being in the group. And since Sarah couldn't provide anything, Lauren just said, well, okay, then just make something up then. So Sarah gives this really terrible fake story about how her ex-husband was abusive to her and her child. Sarah said that she also hated her parents, which was completely opposite to her real life. She actually loved her parents and she actually loved her ex-husband, but you know, they just fell out of love and things happened. It wasn't as dramatic as she said it. Sarah said that after she provided the blackmail, she was presented with this group and this group kind of seemed like a sorority. The group had about four pods and Sarah would be the leader of her own pod. And within these four pods, there was a leader of each pod and that leader was named Sister. And everyone who was in the pod that wasn't a leader was called, quote, Sister Slaves. And by bringing more people in, she would move up in rank and eventually become, quote, Grand Master which was what Keith was in this group. And Sarah goes on to say that the blackmail in order to join is not the only blackmail that you have to provide, but you're also forced in participating in a nude photo shoot for the Grandmaster, aka Keith, to keep just in case you try to leave or you disobey them. Those nudes would then be leaked just in case the blackmail wasn't good enough. As I said, Lauren was Nancy's daughter. And since Nancy and Keith were grandmasters, Lauren was also a grandmaster and it was Sarah's job to report everything to Lauren. And Sarah wasn't just obligated to report things like, oh, suspicious activity or suspicious groups. She literally had to tell Lauren everything. She had to tell Lauren when she was eating, what she was eating. She had to ask permission if she could sleep. She had to report her daily calories to Lauren. 
Lauren, and Sarah said that when she was first entered into the group, Lauren had told her that Sarah needed to fly out to Vancouver, to their Vancouver location, for like a group retreat. Lauren kind of set it up to Sarah as a fun girls trip where everyone in DOS is going to get together and get cute little matching tattoos. But this was the complete opposite of a fun girls trip. Sarah said that when they got to Vancouver, they were later driven to this big mansion. And from there, she was blindfolded, stripped naked, and left alone in a room. She was then taken to another room where she sat down and she heard other people also coming in and sitting down. She and everyone else was instructed to take off their blindfolds to reveal who was in the pod, and it was all of the girls in DOS, including Keith, being the only man in the room. Keith explained the reason why all of them were naked, and he basically set it up as this was a way for them to confront vulnerability, and it's our natural bodies, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. You should just express yourself. But weirdly, he said that right before blindfolding all of them again, and then putting them on a bus, still naked, mind you. They were then taken to Allison Mack's house, who was the leader of this group, and Sarah said she was then laid on a table and burned with Keith's initials right above her pelvic area, indicating that Keith now owns her. She said the process was about 30 minutes, and it was just excruciating, burning pain. They weren't given any pain medications, any numbing cream, nothing. And these initials from the right side up, it was supposed to represent mountains, water, and the skies. But when you turned your head to the side, this tattoo would make out the letters KR, which stood for Keith Rainier. At this point, Sarah is getting extremely scared because she's thinking, what did I just get myself into? What is she doing? Is she truly Lauren's slave now? Why is she recruiting all of these women? This was kind of Sarah's wake-up points, very similar to when Mark had his wake-up point. Sarah then realizes that this was not just a group for women empowerment, and when she was recruiting women into this group, it wasn't because it was for women empowerment. She was quite literally recruiting women into this ring to become sex slaves for Keith. Sarah says that Keith's philosophy was that men were designed genetically to not be monogamous and they must spread their seed and women are designed to be monogamous. And she even said that Keith had, quote, a rotating group of 15 to 20 women with whom he maintained sexual relationships. And so Sarah reveals all of this to Mark and Mark decides to speak up for Sarah and confront Lauren about all of this because this is essentially just trafficking. And so Lauren then finds finds out that Sarah had spoke about it and so Lauren confronts Sarah and says, why did you blow our cover? This is not what we wanted. We don't want the men involved because they don't understand. And Lauren goes on to tell Sarah that Mark is just trying to fool her, that he's holding her back from her true potential and that he doesn't truly support her. Which Sarah, in return, because she was so brainwashed and mind controlled at this point, started to believe all of this. The woman grandmasters of DOS were Lauren 
Warren and Allison Mack, and they would mostly recruit young and vulnerable women. They would pitch Doss to other women like they were just girls' girls. They said that Doss was all about women empowerment and leveling up, and it was all about, you know, getting a little uncomfortable and not being scared to be vulnerable with other women. Kind of pitching it like, hey girl, we're in this together. Like, why don't you join our team so we can all be in this together? But a big thing about DOS once you were actually entered in was your diet. You had to send pictures of every meal you ate to the master, who was either Allison or Lauren. You had to send them in the amount of calories and you needed to ask permission before you ate. So you sent the picture and you would literally have to sit there with your food and wait for a response to get a confirmation if you could eat it or not. But as a lot of you guys may or may not know, everyone's body is different and nobody's body is the same. And so someone's required calorie intake is not going to be the same for someone else. We're all different heights. We all carry weight differently. We all digest food differently. There are all different things about our bodies. And so some of these girls became extremely malnourished, sleep deprived, and even some of the girls' periods completely stopped or became very irregular. Their hair started to thin, their skin started to become transparent, and members of DOS who left noticed a pattern. Keith had a long-term relationship with multiple women in the group, and Keith loved women who were especially very thin, like unhealthy thin, which was just simply his gross fetish. Keith also hated women who felt good about themselves or were assertive and successful. He made them feel like they were cocky, egotistical, and would strip down all of their pride and knock them down just so he would feel superior over them. And when DOS was created, a lot of long-term women like Lauren and Allison were at the point where they had been stripped of all their self-love, self-respect, and relied on Keith for all of that validation. So when people were coming to terms with all of this, people attempted to sue and get at least some money for all of the trauma that this group had caused them. Even all of the medical issues, the financial issues, mental issues that this group had caused them. Now, when all of these lawsuits came forward, the leader of the financials of DOS was Sarah and another woman named Claire Boffmans, and they were heiresses to the Seagram alcohol fortune. So Sarah and Claire basically had a lot of money, and they would use all of that money to buy off all of these lawsuits because they truly believed, you know, Keith was telling the truth. But it wasn't until 15 years after this organization had started that the curtain slowly started to lift. A lot of people went to the media specifically to tell their stories. A man named Frank Parlato was hired to be a publicist for the group, but uncovered lots of embezzlement by Keith. But once he uncovered all of this embezzlement, Keith fired him immediately. It was at that point where Frank's sole purpose became trying to take this cult down and expose it for what it is. But Lots of people in the cult were speaking over him in influence, power, and money. And so unfortunately, his screams were never heard. But that was until 2017, after 19 years of this fully operational sex trafficking cult, the hashtag MeToo movement was getting more attention and led to the rapid downfall of Nexium. When this movement started to gain traction, Sarah made a bold decision to not only leave the cult, but post a picture 
picture of her branding to social media. This story catapulted and everyone wanted to know more about this group and more about Nexium and why was all of these innocent women getting branded with the initials of the leader of this group. This clearly was more than just self-improvement and self-love. This was a fully functioning trafficking cult. The whole internet was working to get this cult taken down and Sarah even did an episode with Dateline and did a piece with 2020 and was on the cover of New York Times preaching her story. Sarah's story inspired other women to leave the group and speak their stories and show their branding as well. And at this point, Keith was under fire. Keith knew that this was bad for him. Keith knew that there was nothing he could say that could get him out of this. There's no explanation that could explain why he put his initials on innocent women's bodies. So Keith decided to flee to Mexico because one of the members of Nexium was actually a man named Carlos Emiliano, who was the son of a man named Carlos Salinas de Cortari, who was the ex-president of Mexico from 1988 to 1994. Carlos had been in the group since 2003, and at the time, it was 2017, so he was about 14 years into this group so far, so he was more than happy to give Keith a place to live in Mexico while things cooled off. But the stories coming out were 10 times darker than people could have ever imagined. Times Union did a piece with a bunch of underage women that said that Keith had recruited them into this cult just simply to sexually assault them. One woman said that in 1990, her mom met Keith when she was only 12 years old and a female friend of hers that knew Keith was trying to convince her and her mom to join Nexium. This person was going on about how Keith was perfect. He was all-knowing and specifically, he was attracted to the woman's 12-year-old daughter. But it was found that Keith used this female friend to manipulate her into making her 12-year-old daughter also enter into the group to which she did. This 12-year-old girl was then manipulated into thinking that Keith was perfect and so when Keith approached her and wanted to sleep with her, she did it. She thought at the time it was an honor and to share intimacy with someone so powerful was such a beautiful thing for her because that's what she was manipulated into thinking. This 12-year-old later did leave the group and spoke out about this story and Keith thankfully was later caught in Mexico a year later in 2018, staying at a villa with the rest of his grandmasters. And when the police showed up to arrest Keith, they were actually in the middle of a recommitment ceremony, which was a ceremony that validated their commitment to him. And this commitment was shown orally. Keith was finally arrested, and on May 7th, 2019, Keith's trial began, and at his trial, there was more info released, and it was a lot worse than people could have ever imagined. There were three sisters roped into the cult. Now, Keith actually had this entire family underneath his wing, and he was actually able to convince the parents to impregnate one of the underage sisters, to which he was successful in doing so, and Keith then bought bought the family a home in Albany where the daughter gave birth to Keith's second child. Keith actually had another child with another member, but this member later left the group and took the child with her. 
The second sister was groomed at a very young age and began sexual relations on her 18th birthday, and the third sister he groomed at just 15 years old. The 15-year-old is referred to as, quote, D, because she was still a minor, and said that Keith told her and all of her sisters that he had mystical powers and that he could heal you through intercourse. He then made her and her two other sisters make a commitment to specifically him and only him, and he told the girls that if they went out and they were to be with anyone else, it would take away his powers and leave him scarred forever. So he was basically manipulating these women, saying that if you have sex with me, you will get mystical powers, but if you have sex with anyone else, I will lose those powers. Manipulating them into making them feel bad and making them feel like, oh, I can't be with anyone else because I don't want to hurt Keith. And there were, unfortunately, even times where Keith would be intimate with two sisters at the same time. Hospital records would prove that he impregnated all three of these sisters, but all of them had abortions. Dee said that Keith had forced her into involuntary solitary confinement at her parents' house for an entire two years because she said that she was interested in another guy. So they literally kept her in this house for two years all by herself because of that. She was only 15 years old. But Keith didn't tell the family that she was being put away because she was interested in another guy. Keith actually told the family that she was there because she was caught stealing and he needed to fix her. She was to be left alone and the only people she was allowed to talk to was Keith and Lauren. Not even her family could go over there and check on her. And after two years of being isolated, she wasn't even able to return to her family. Her dad was instructed by Keith to take her to the Mexican border with only eight and no identity and to just drop her off. And since even her father at this point was so brainwashed and mind controlled by Keith, he did just that. And later on, this girl was later discovered and that's when she came to the police and came out about her story and what happened to her. The abuse within this cult got so bad that many girls attempted at taking their own lives. And there were actually two specific women that unfortunately did. A woman named Gina Hutchinson Sin was found with self-inflicted shotgun wound and another woman named Kristen Snyder, who had been kicked out of Nexium, was weirdly never seen again. Gina was 33 years old, and she came out about her story in 2002, right before her death. She said that Keith started grooming her in the eighth grade when she was only 13 years old, and currently she was 23 years old. Gina was described as very sweet and compassionate, and she loved animals. She was said to have a soothing soul and was so gentle, and so a gunshot wound kind of contrasted her and when they found her dead in the front yard of a monastery in Woodstock, which was about an hour away from Keith, this was extremely shocking. The publicist that I was talking about earlier named Frank Pilato actually did a special on Nexium and conducted a study that showed it would be physically impossible for Gina to reach the trigger of the shotgun at the angle at which she was shot in the mouth, but unfortunately no investigation 
investigation or tests were done. So Frank believed that it was Keith or someone else in the group that had shot her. The second woman that passed away was named Kristen Snyder, who was 30 years old and moved to Alaska in 1999 to pursue her career as an environmental consultant and wanted to be an entrepreneur. She was described as fun, loving, and motivated and always looked for a way to better herself. So taking self-help courses wasn't too odd. And so that's when she decided to join Nexium because she just thought that, you know, bettering herself and self-improvement was something that she was passionate about. But on February 7th, 2003, she was called in missing and was actually last seen at a Nexium seminar at a local hotel. Witnesses say that Kristen was actually kicked out of the seminar because she was, quote, acting erratically. Kristen's wife was also there and saw her get kicked out, but, but her wife just thought, oh, I'll just give her space to cool off. It's fine. She'll go outside and I'll talk to her tonight at home. But when her wife went home, Kristen unfortunately never came home that night. And two days later, she still wasn't home. So she decided to report her missing. And later on that day, her truck was found two and a half hours away. And in the truck was a suicide note that said, quote, no need to look for my body. In the suicide note, she said that she was a part of a group called Nexium and they had shut down her internal being. They had manipulated her so much that she believed her organs were slowly rotting. Police investigated the area and found a shed where people usually keep kayaks in there, and people said that there's usually two in there at all times, but police only found one, so they suspected that maybe Kristen had went out to the lake and drowned herself. But people said that this wouldn't make sense, though, for Kristen. She was smart, joyful, stable, and a very level-headed person person, so this was very out of the ordinary for her. Kristen was currently on day 10 of the 16-day course and joined it with a friend. The friend said that she noticed the whole idea of stripping yourself down and ripping apart all your fears and revealing your secrets really affected Kristen mentally. This friend considered taking Kristen in for help because she was changing in the worst way possible. This friend even conveyed this concern with the Grand Master, and after this, Kristen and the friend were kept apart, but nothing further happened to Kristen. Four days after the truck was found, they had dive teams, dogs, helicopters go out there in search for Kristen's body, but there was no sight of her anywhere. Not even the kayak or the paddle from the shed were out there. But it would later come out at the trial that ironically, Keith hated lesbians. He believed women need men to survive, and it disgusted him that there were women out there that didn't want to be with him or weren't attracted to him. And so it's believed he tried to use his quote-unquote powers onto Kristen, but of course she was not interested because she was gay, and this made Keith very offended as to why she wasn't attracted to him. And it's believed that there was an involuntarily sexual relation that caused Kristen to speak up in the group, telling people that Keith got her pregnant, and this is what inevitably led her to get kicked out of that day's meeting. And then two days later, she's shown missing and her truck is two and a half hours away with a suicide note inside. A handwriting expert had analyzed the suicide note and compared it to a Valentine's Day card Kristen had wrote for her wife, but it wasn't enough to determine on if Kristen had wrote it or not. And even to this day, Kristen's body was never found. So even to this day, we truly don't know what happened. And not only did them two unfortunately pass away, there were also two more of Keith's long-term
long-term girlfriends that had passed away, both diagnosed with cancer, but with the possibility that they had been poisoned for a long period of time before that. The first woman was named Barbara Jeske, who was described as a mama bear. She was bubbly and nurturing, and she drew people in with her personality. Another girlfriend of Keith was named Pamela K. Fritz, who was Keith's ride or die, and they were actually together for 30 years. Pamela was described as free-spirited and funny, and Keith was in charge of all of the women's medical treatments and was in charge of the two girls' cancer treatments, as well as the cancer treatment of another woman. This other woman actually had bladder cancer and got treatment from Keith, but later on left the cult and decided to go to a real doctor. And this real doctor took a strand of her hair and her hair tested positive for dangerous levels of bismuth and barium, which are heavy metals that made her cancer even worse. And the theory was that Keith told these girls that they had cancer just to remove them and let the younger women in, sort of as if he was just recycling these women. Some women that testified in court said that they felt like experiments for his spiritual healing. After all of this evidence was revealed, he was finally charged with a list of things. He was charged with sexual exploitation of a minor and possession of CP, sex trafficking, attempted sex trafficking, identity theft because of all of the credit cards of people that he would use after they left the group. He was charged with trafficking for labor and services, forced labor, conspiracy to alter records, for use in an official process, proceeding, sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, forced labor, racketeering conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. Nancy and her daughter Lauren were also charged for participating in all of these crimes. Allison was sentenced to three years in prison, three years probation, and 1,000 hours of community service, along with a $20,000 fine for racketeering, racketeering conspiracy, sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and forced labor conspiracy. Claire Boffman, who was the second financial executive beside Allison, was charged with conspiracy to conceal and harbor illegal aliens for financial gain and fraudulent use of identity. She was sentenced to five years in prison and was and needed to pay the state $6 million. Nancy did plead guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy and was sentenced to 3.5 years along with a $150,000 fine. Nancy's daughter, Lauren, who was the grandmaster of DOS, was able to wiggle her way out of jail and only get five years probation with 300 hours of community service. So she ended up never even going to jail. And Keith was given a life sentence for all of his charges. As far as the aftermath of everything. In September 30th, 2020, Claire's sentence had changed from six years to nine months in prison and was fined $500,000 and is suspected to be released in 2025, so in just two years. In July of 2023, Allison was released from prison after serving two out of her three-year sentence. And recently, on September 7th of 2023, Nancy was released from prison after only serving a year and a half out of her three and a half year sentence. Some news outlets say that she wasn't released but sent to a halfway house, but when Times Union went to the halfway house to talk to Nancy, they said that she wasn't there and didn't plan on being there. And as for Keith today, he is still in prison serving out his 120-year sentence at 63 years old. Claire, as of today, is also still serving time in prison, and as of 2024, she will not be released, but 
as for Sarah Edmonton, she was not charged with anything, and like Lauren, she was able to wiggle her way out of jail and just get some hours of community service. And yeah, that is where everyone is at today, and that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you are on YouTube or if you are on Spotify, Apple, where you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. Today's case was a lot and I hope that I explained it correctly. I would love to hear all of your guys' thoughts in the comments below, but yeah, that is all for me. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure to get a little bit of fresh air today. Forget to stay hydrated, drink some water, and as always, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.